This is Ozarks at Large for Tuesday, December 20th, 2022. I'm Kyle Kellams. Ahead this hour, the Fayetteville City Council is considering ways to control nuisance graffiti on private property. Ozarks at Large's Jacqueline Froelich will have that story for us in our second half hour. Early yesterday afternoon, the U.S. House Select Committee to investigate the January 6th attack on the United States Capitol referred former President Donald Trump for criminal prosecution on four counts. Just a few hours later, Congresswoman Liz Cheney, the committee's vice chair, was in Bentonville to be the final speaker in Crystal Bridges Museum of American Art Series held in conjunction with the exhibition We the People, The Radical Notion of Democracy. Here are a few edited audio highlights from the hour-long event last night which was moderated by Carol Stern, the executive director of the Walton Family Foundation. It's wonderful to be here. It's uh, my first time at Crystal Bridges, and uh, I really can't think of anything more fitting um, uh, at the end of, you know, uh, what, what was a sad day in many ways, but a day that was dedicated to the Constitution, um, than to be able to be here and to actually see um, an original copy of the Constitution, uh, the Bill of Rights, um, very, very special. So wonderful to be here, wonderful to be here with the Walton family um, and with the Bozemans, uh, and, and thank you for all you do. I think it can be easy sometimes to think the Constitution isn't relevant for us in our daily lives, and uh, certainly what we've seen uh, over the course of the last year and a half uh, is the extent to which we all have an obligation um, not, not only to ensure that we're doing everything we can to defend the Constitution and defend our institutions, but we have an obligation to educate ourselves. We have an obligation to make sure that as Americans we understand um, how uh, our institutions work, we understand the protections that the Constitution gives us, um, and, and if we uh, don't take the responsibility to educate ourselves, then um, we won't be able to defend the institutions. And, um, you know, what you saw today was the culmination of uh, 18 months of work by the Select Committee. Our committee is one that I'm very proud of. Uh, we operated in almost, I would say, a nonpartisan matter, not just a, a bipartisan manner, but um, really focused, you know, the members of our committee have vastly different positions on a whole range of issues, but we agree on the most important issue, which is the defense of the Constitution. And um, we said from the beginning that we would follow the facts, we would go where the facts lead us. Um, and uh, again, it was with uh, solemnity and, and sadness um, that, that you know, the facts led to um, criminal referrals for the former President of the United States. Uh, I'm, I'm proud of the work that our committee has done, and uh, I think that people ask me, how do we make sure January 6th never happens again? And I think that the, there are a number of things we need to do, but probably among the very most important and maybe the most important is we have to hold those who were responsible for January 6th accountable. There has to be accountability. We all know, though, that your stance may have cost you your seat in Congress. And, you know, you, <laughs> you also described the recent midterm elections as a clear victory, though, for Team Normal. 
You know, and going into the election, though all the predictors were saying that the determinant was gonna be the economy, it was gonna be inflation, and yet, people chose to vote for democracy. And, and I wanna read this quote from your remarks at a recent event hosted by the Anti-Defamation League, my former employer, so I pay attention. You said, I think that you saw in really important races around the country, people coming together to say, we believe in democracy. We believe in standing up for the Constitution and for the Republic. Why do you think people voted for democracy? You know, the midterms, um, they really gave me tremendous hope uh, because, you know, as you say, the, the commentators and the experts all sort of said, uh, you know, democracy is too abstract. It's not an issue that people are going to think about in terms of casting their vote. But what we saw was a rejection of election deniers. And, and that's just so fundamentally important. Uh, and, and, you know, if you think about what would have happened in some of these races where you had people running for office, um, you know, in Arizona, people running for governor and secretary of state and other places around the country who said they would only honor the outcome of elections if they agreed with them. Uh, that, that's, uh, you know, unsustainable. That's very dangerous. So I, I do think that it was important that um, w there was such a clear message, people saying, uh, you know, the, the extent to which voters uh, did and I think need to continue to demand competence, they need to continue to demand seriousness, they need to continue to demand um, representatives who will uphold their oath of office. And I think we, we saw that in the midterms and we need to continue to see that as we go forward. We are so divided right now. And what do you think it's gonna take to, for the country to heal? You know, I think, um, I think it takes from, from elected officials um, responsibility. And, and I, I do think uh, certainly one of the lessons that I've learned in the last couple of years um, has been how important it is to walk away from reflexive partisanship. Uh, and this doesn't mean obviously that, that you know, everybody's gonna agree on every issue. We have big disagreements and we, we should. Um, but the, the best place for us to be as a country is where we can say let's have a disagreement, uh, let's debate the issue and um, let's, let's assume, you know, that, that the person on the other side uh, wants to have a substantive debate and discussion, and let's elect people who want to do that. Uh, in this last election in the midterms, uh, after, I, I think I've never actually voted for a Democrat, um, <laughs> but I, I endorsed several. Um, and I campaigned for a number of Democrats in this last cycle. Um, and they included people like Alyssa Slotkin. Um, I endorsed Abigail Spanberger. These are women that I have served with in Congress who, um, they're both Democrats. Uh, I've gotten to know both of them through our work on national security issues. And when I think about the kinds of people our country needs, we need people like that. We need people who are serious and substantive and do their homework. And we ought to, we ought to start thinking about elections and elected officials and, and sort of putting the same sort of standards, uh, applying the same sort of standards that we would if we were hiring people for other jobs. Um, but that means we need more candidates. We need more people to run for office because you have to have the choice of good people who are willing to, 
to step up and run so we can demand excellence. Wyoming Congresswoman Liz Cheney speaking last night at the Crystal Bridges Museum of American Art in Bentonville as part of a speaker series that is connected to the We the People, the Radical Notion of Democracy exhibition. The discussion last night was moderated by Carol Stern, the executive director of the Walton Family Foundation. We heard just a bit of the hour-long event. You can watch the entire discussion by going to the Arkansas PBS YouTube page. We the People, the Radical Notion of Democracy, remains on exhibit at Crystal Bridges Museum of American Art through January 2nd. And this is a Tuesday edition of Ozarks at Large on your public radio station, KUAF. Washington Regional's Her Health Clinic is committed to empowering all women by giving them the care and resources they need to take control of their own health. Gynecology services, prenatal care, childbirth, infertility treatments, and more are available at Her Health Clinic, located in Washington Regional's Women and Infant Center in Fayetteville wregional.com slash herhealth to learn more. Just ahead on this Tuesday, Ozarks at Large, the Cape Brothers are in our Prior Center archival spotlight. From reminiscing about their early days in Northwest Arkansas to their time on American Bandstand. Hey, now i got to get it straight. Earl and Ernie, brothers. Who's the eldest, older? Same age. Are you twins? Right. I'm sorry. Not identical twins. Please introduce me to the man we're burying behind this. Okay, on Terry Cago on drums. Thank you, Terry. And the gentleman over here on bass? Albert Singleton. Albert, nice to have you here. You know, the very first time I ever heard your music, I got to admit, I listened to that and I said, you guys have to be black. Because has that happened before? Oh, yeah, all the time, yeah. The Cape Brothers, Dick Clark, and Randy Dixon just ahead on this edition of Ozarks at Large. How about that, Lee Wood? That's a, quite a lineup. And that is. I didn't even know what you were talking about at first. I was like, wow. <laughs> yeah, so uh, the Cape Brothers were on American Bandstand way back in the 70s. Oh, I miss American Bandstand. Yeah. I just wish that we could watch people dancing. It, it's like brings, it used to bring me joy on a Saturday morning. We're going to make some people so happy they may want to dance. Yes. And they're all loud. That's true. What are yes. we doing? So we, I should say this is Lee Wood, general manager of KUAF, <laughs> inside the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio. Thank you for having me. Um, okay. So we are saying thanks to some folks. We've got um, – we're a little bit running a little bit late on our December have a night out on us. So at the everybody be- gets it. Everybody's running right, a little right. bit late. You know, the last of 2022, everybody's surviving. Uh, so we have someone to thank uh, who we just you know randomly pull from our database every month just as a way to say thank you for being a supporter. Uh, that person who uh, is getting a package from us is Donna Shepard of Fayetteville. Congratulations, Donna, and thank you. Yes, thank you so much, Donna. You will be getting uh, some goodies from us, uh, and we call it Have a Night Out on Us. We hope you'll be able to go out, maybe see a movie, get something to eat, and just appreciate. uh, We appreciate you, and we hope that you go enjoy yourself. So we also want to say thank you to some people who just recently gave during our most recent fundraiser. Absolutely. And um, these just happened to be pulled randomly from a list. 
Uh, and we like to do this, you know, after fundraisers, just as a way to say thank you to people and let them know that that your particular donation does make an enormous difference here. So we'll be sending some thank you packages to Ray Prepster in Fayetteville. Congratulations, Ray. Jan Mullins in West Fork. All right. Thank you. Colleen Farnham in Bella Vista. Mm-hmm. Beth Slack in Bentonville. All right. And Pat and Maddie Valines in Ponca. Pat and Maddie Valines in Ponca. I know. I love it when we pick these randomly. You can ask the news staff because I just ask them to all give me random numbers. And it it represents people from Bella Vista to West Fork all over the listening area. So I love it when that happens. And Ponca. And Ponca. Beautiful, beautiful Ponca. Beautiful Ponca. All right. You can always give to KUAF at uh, supportkuaf.com. You can. And um, we know that people don't give so that they can get prizes back. But it's our one little way of saying thank you so much for your support. Yeah. If you give to get prizes back, mm. Find, the odds are against you. There are better organizations. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> uh, just want to mention that this Ozarks at Large, we've got a show today, obviously, mm-hmm. then Wednesday and Thursday, and then we're going to take a break. But on January 9th, when we come back with brand new shows and so many good specials that Timmy the Dennis yes, has, has lined up. Yes, I'm very excited. But when we come back on January 9th, let's give away some more Night on Us. Yep. And we'll get uh, Brett Ratliff, our new um, membership director, in here with us. I think that's a plan. Happy holidays, Lee. Thanks. Happy holidays, Kyle. Okay. Okay. Randy Dixon with the <laughs> Pryor Center, the David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual uh, Happy History. holidays, happy by the Happy holidays to you. This is our last visit of 2022. I know. That's... Yeah. I think it's fitting. I think it's fitting that we're going out with icons. Some fun. Music. Icons of Northwest Arkansas. Absolutely. They, they sure are. And we should tell people, because not everybody knows who we just heard. <laughs> That's true. They're the Kate brothers uh, from here in Fayetteville. And what you just heard was a top 40 hit uh, called Union Man. It was um, number 24 on the Billboard Top 40 uh, in 1976. And these brothers have had quite a life touring the world, literally, uh, with some of the biggest names in music. Well, the reason we're doing this segment is there is a, a, a big event this Friday at George's. It is, uh, well, the Kate brothers are twins. Yes. And it's their birthday, big one, 80th birthday, and they're going to have a big concert. Uh, unfortunately, I just checked online and it sold out. Not a shock. Yeah, that's true. That's true. They're huge here uh, especially in Northwest Arkansas, and let me let me point out that you know Fayetteville often claims them, but they grew up in Springdale. Let's give Springdale its props. That's true, and you'll hear coming yeah. up that they mention Springdale, yeah. um, but they're always associated. You're right with with Fayetteville, but they were born uh, the day after Christmas on nineteen in nineteen forty two, and. Um, well, let's hear uh, the Pryor Center, Scott Lunsford and Bob Cochran interviewed both of them separately uh, in 2010. And let's hear uh, from Ernie. He's the lead singer and keyboard player. 
and he talks about the birth of the twins. Back my mother, she gave birth to Earl, and it was just in a house. It wasn't in a hospital or anything. It was my grandmother's house. She gave birth to Earl, and the doctor packed up his all of his uh, equipment, started to leave, and Mom says, something's wrong. I don't know. Something's not right. I think there's another one. <laughs> you know? And he came back in, and sure enough, it was, it was me. So <laughs> eight minutes just transpired, I guess, or whatever. Ernie Kate, one of the Kate brothers, they're celebrating their 80th birthday with a concert at George's Friday night. We're talking about them right now for our Prior Center profile. That's right. So the boys found their love of music early on, and they they would go to square dances with their parents, and they'd listen to the music while their parents danced. But uh, they soon formed a band, and they started off playing country music, but then they discovered a new sound that really stuck with them. So here's Ernie again. WLAC in Nashville, Tennessee. They played all the Howlin' Wolf and all those R&B that you never hear over here. We listened to that late at night, you know, at home, you know, Earl and I. Uh-huh. And we, of course, you can't even get the records here, you know, right. getting, you know. And of course, then Ronnie coming in and playing a lot of that stuff right. really turned us on to that. And after we started listening to that stuff, all that kind of music with Ray Charles and the R&B, and that, we were sold, and that's what we wanted to do. You know what I mean? Yeah. I just had so much heart to it, so much, you know, uh-huh. really love that stuff. I love hearing uh, the Cape Brothers talk about how they discovered rock and roll and how rock and roll discovered them. That's true. That's true. They, um, you know, they would go and listen to live music whenever they could, and you know the Rockwood Club. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm headed out towards Drake Field right. from Fayetteville. You'll see it on your left. Right. It was owned by Rockabilly star Roddy Hawkins. Yes. But built, I mean, designed by, by E. Fay Jones. Oh, that's right. So I there's all sorts about that. of Arkansas history in this building. That's right. And it may be reopening. At there's some work point, going on at a Possibly plan. as a museum, possibly as a music venue. I, I don't know that a decision has been made yet, but. I mean, you would go there back in the day and hear Jerry Lee Lewis, Mm -hmm. Roy Orbison, Mm -hmm. Carl Perkins. I mean, all kinds of folks would show up there. Now, they were at the age that they couldn't get in, but they figured out a way they could listen. Here's Ernie again. We'd have to go and stand outside, listen through the back. The Rockwood had this huge fan, you know, that you could see the the back of the player's head. Yeah. You had smoke out, but of course it made music. Yeah, so <laughs> like you learned your music to Sound like I had Leslie, yeah. uh, Leslie cabinet on the vocals. <laughs> but we'd listen to him, stand out in the back and listen to him. Uh-huh. Finally, we got, got, after we played there, we were really old enough, we played there a few times and they'd let us come in and listen sometimes. Yeah, I love that image of sitting out there and being yeah, able to Yeah, listening through the... Yeah. It's probably not the best audio but, that you could get, but... But you know what? You, hey, then you, you didn't know about you take what you can MP3s get. and digital downloads. You got the music when you got it. That's true. And how you got it? Well, and it was live. Right. Seeing those those right. kind of acts, that was amazing. Yeah. Uh, but now another Arkansan that's connected to them, Levon Helm, you know, of the band, uh, helped them get their big break. He uh, was successful in getting them. Uh, 
recording contract with Asylum Records. And, and let's point out that in the 70s, Asylum was a huge label. Oh, gosh. Eagles, Linda Ronstadt, Leon Jackson Russell. Brown. Yeah. Yeah, big names. Uh, and so they came out with a self-titled album in 75, which was produced by Steve Cropper. Does Leg- that name ring a bell? Well, of course, legendary musician with Stax Records and Booker T and the MGs. And, oh, great guitar yeah. player. Well, and here's a little Blues thing. If, if you've ever seen the Blues Brothers movie, he's the guitar player yeah. in the band. Big guy with a beard. Yeah. Yeah. I th- if he's still alive, he, 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 was, he lives in Memphis. And he'll occasionally play celebrity golf tournaments and things. He loves to play golf. But um, after that album, and just just to kind of let you know, they they came out with several more albums in the 70s. They had, uh, after their initial self-titled album, they had In One Eye and Out the Other in 76, Kate Brothers Band, which is sort of... uh, what they have now with Terry Cagle on drums, who, by the way, is Levon Helm's nephew. Mm-hmm. And he looks and sounds just like Levon. But he's still in the band. And then Fire on the Tracks in 79. So another big break. The next year, this would have been 76, which would be a pinnacle for any band. I mean, think about... In 76, what was the music show to be on? Oh, American Bandstand with Dick it, Clark. Exactly. Saturday and mornings at 11.30 to 12.30. That's right, and they made it. They yeah. were on there featured. And now let's go to the other Kate, Earl, who's the lead guitarist and also sings. But he's going to talk about their experience on Bandstand, and then we'll hear a little bit of them talking with Dick Clark. We did American Bandstand and met Dick Clark. Of course, when we were young kids, we watched him on TV. He thought, boy, if we ever make it to American Bandstand, we'd make it, you know. Yeah. But once you get there, it's not like, you know, don't, you don't feel like exhilarated, like, oh, man, we made it. You know, yeah. Just, just seemed like, oh, it's another gig. Hey, Earl, come on down here. Can you slip over here for a second? Oh, nice to see you. Welcome. Hey, now I gotta get it straight. Earl and Ernie, right, right. brothers. Who's the eldest, older? Same age. Are you twins? Right. Yeah. I'm sorry. Not identical twins. Please introduce me to the man we're burying behind us. Okay, on Terry Cago on drums. Thank you, Terry. And the gentleman over here on bass? Albert Singleton. Albert, nice to have you here. You know, the very first time I ever heard your music, I gotta admit, I listened to that and I said, you guys have to be black. Because I, I, has that happened before? Oh, yeah, all the time, yeah. Who are the influences in that? You're obviously not black. We only got one black member. <laughs> what a, and he's not playing the rhythm part. Now, this, <laughs> silly. What, what uh, caused this influence in your life? I don't know. We've been playing a lot of years, and you know, we always liked black music best. You know, I kind of picked Who'd up. Who'd you on. used to listen to when you were a kid? Uh, Sam and Dave, Otis Redding, yeah. Ray Charles. How long has it been? I mean, you've been brothers forever, but how long have you been playing music together? Uh, 12 or 15 years, something like that. What kind of jobs did you play before you had a hit record? Any way to make money. <laughs> you work sleazy dives, Earl? Tell the truth. Really? <laughs> Real turkeys. <laughs> right. Has it changed in the meantime? Oh, yeah. It's a lot better now. Yeah. Do you like your life better now that, now that success has come your way? <laughs> Is there a rainbow out there in the music world? Oh, that's a lot of fun, really. What, what kind of jobs do you work now? 
We're playing mostly concerts, you know, all over the country. Bigger audiences? Yeah, a lot bigger audiences. Lot Is there any difference in the way you play to a small group of people versus a big group? Uh, it feels better in front of a lot of people. You know? Now you don't have any time off or anything. You're working hard. Right. What do you do when you do have time off? We try to get home, you know. Where's home? Fayetteville, Arkansas, Springdale. Fayetteville, Arkansas? You believe it or not, I know Fayetteville, Arkansas, yeah. What do you, fish hunting, that sort of thing? Yeah, sure. So they opened with that song we heard at the first, uh, Union Man. That was the hit, yeah. Yeah, but the second song they did, which they were about to perform, uh, was another Kate Brothers original, Can't Change My Heart. Let's listen to a little of that. You Bandstand, you're you're at the top. Oh yeah, your, well, your label is pushing you. You are. Then in '79, they were on Austin City Limits. They so, also made an appearance on SCTV. Oh, that's right, yeah. with Eugene Levy, mm-hmm. um, with Levon Helm, yes. right? They're, yes. Yeah, he plays a reporter, and yeah. they don't have time for him, and they go in. Yeah, and they they play in an empty bar. Right. Yeah, but. Um, then they started opening, touring and opening for these big, big groups. Well, Grateful Dead, Fleetwood Mac, the band, and then Queen. Who is really beginning to emerge as a world power super, in music. Super band. At this point, yeah. Yeah, and so Earl talks about the Queen tour, <laughs> and he kind of recalls how things got off to a little rocky start. We're going to put you on the road with Queen because they were the only group going out that winter of 76, right? So they put us on tour with Queen, and the first show we played was in Waterbury, Connecticut. And I swear, it was stand-up only, no seating. It was a 14-year-old boys. <laughs> I mean, they were yelling, you suck. We hadn't even played a note. <laughs> <laughs> hadn't hit a note yet. You suck. Yeah. <laughs> We thought this ain't gonna work, you know. So we did another show. It was getting a little better the next time. Then we started playing opera houses like Boston, Detroit, Chicago. It was nice, you know. Yeah. The crowd was real appreciative, and our song was on the radio. Every major city, first thing we hit, the, get off the plane, take you to the radio station. Yeah. Play our record, you know. That was the way it was back then. Sure. And the DJ interviews you at the oh, end. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's what made it. The record happened by the spring. It was. It was charted, you know. I guess all roads were would always lead back to Arkansas and to Levon Helm. So they started um, opening for the band, and a lot of times they would back up Levon solo. Right. So here's Earl again. We played a lot of shows with big-name groups that wasn't— as much fun or as you know as exciting as just working with Levon because Levon had all these friends in the movie business or whatever and you never knew who was going to show up like one night in New York at the Lone Star Rip Torn uh, Tommy Lee Jones and Dennis Hopper all three showed up at the same time 
to the gig, right? Yeah. So they're in the dressing room, you know, partying. Yeah. Stuff like that. And, and Bob Dylan, you know, coming to a gig or whatever. You know. Let's move on to the 80s. They they released their albums, did some big shows, big some, did some big touring in the 70s. During the 80s, they didn't do any albums. But uh, Robbie Robertson left the band, and so in stepped the Kate brothers to fill that void. So they played during the 80s with the remaining members of the band. Now, this is something really cool we have in the archives, and you can find it if you go to the Arkansas Memories section of the Prior Center website and go to the Kate Brothers interviews. Uh, we have a couple of songs in the archives, and this is from a concert in August on August 31st of 1984 with the band and the Cape Brothers playing at the rink right here in Fayetteville. Highway 62. That's right. Yeah. Um, and Levon is doing the singing duties here. Let's listen to a little of uh, Rag Mama Rag. think with all this touring and everything they have done that they would kind of move up and on but Earl says that you know their love for and yearning for Northwest Arkansas was always there I appreciate that I get that yeah so they're they're here they're they're playing this Friday unfortunately if you don't have tickets you know you're what out of luck no you just go outside, you sit by the air conditioner, there you go. and you listen to them play. It's going to be a little cold, but hey, you... you Which means the air conditioner won't be can. on. That's true. <laughs> but just go stand outside. Hey, and, you'll be able to hear them. They're yes, loud enough. Yes. You go towards the back of Georgia's, because they'll be yes. in that back room, I'm sure. So, um, I was going to give all the ticket information and all that. No point. Um, so... You want to end with uh, a little bit of, yeah, okay. Well, let's do. I'll I'll do my best uh, to intro this. How's that? Ooh. Uh, so let's hear the Kate Brothers with their 1976 top 40 Billboard hit here on 91.3 KUAF Union Man.
The KUAF Giving Tree has been lit. This annual program from your public radio station benefits an area nonprofit that's looking for our community's help. This month of December, we're working with Seven Hills Homeless Center, working to develop and implement collaborative local solutions that foster hope, opportunity, and stability for people experiencing homelessness. Seven Hills provides a wide range of basic needs and housing services as well as working with other community groups to help decrease homelessness in our community. Right now, Seven Hills' biggest needs are canned soups, coats, socks, gloves, and winter hats. Simply drop off your donation of new or gently used items at KUAF 9 South School in Fayetteville. You can find more information about Seven Hills online at sevenhillscenter.org. The Giving Tree and KUAF Public Radio. Make your voice matter. Thank you so much for uh, once again this year helping us out with The Giving Tree. We've already taken at least three big loads to Seven Hills and want to tell you that they express their appreciation. You can drop your items off right here at 9 South School in Fayetteville. It's going to be very, very cold this week, so thank you very much. This is Ozarks at Large. The Fayetteville City Council is considering ways to control nuisance graffiti on private property visible from public rights of ways. Ozarks at Large's Jacqueline Froelich reports. 374 incidents of graffiti have been reported to Fayetteville police over the past decade in city parks, along trails, on bridges, fences, and stairways, and tunnels, on public buildings and utility fixtures, The graffiti ranges from tagging personal initials, marks, or symbols to lettered words as well as abstract or figurative images. Fayetteville City Code prohibits graffiti on any public or private property, a law enforced by city police. Those found guilty of such vandalism face a $500 fine and or three months in jail. The city follows up by repairing the damage, but only on public property. And that's prompted Fayetteville City Council member Teresa Turk to amend city code to include graffiti abatement removal on private property. We are down here uh, by the, uh, on the bike trail by the Fayetteville uh, train depot station. And um, I bike here often. And so this, um, this graffiti that I'm looking at has been here at least probably six months or so. And I kept thinking that the owner would, would actually, you know, paint over it and beautify it back to the nice building that it is, the nice historic building. It's actually on the National Register of Historic Buildings. The brick and stucco building is defaced with massive purple balloon letters, scrawled black marks and symbols because the building owner has not repaired the damage, Turk checked to see if the city could take care of it. I was informed that no, the city did not have the power to do that. And that's what prompted me uh, to sponsor this resolution before the city council. Turk says her proposed amendment to the city's graffiti ordinance will respect property rights. The owner allowed it, then it's exempt from this uh, ordinance. But if the owner uh, did not allow it, then it's classified as graffiti. Uh, This ordinance authorizes the city to use funds to actually paint over it and to notify the police. And then the owner, we asked the owner to sign uh, a graffiti abatement form uh, saying that it's okay for the city to be on private property. 
but also if they want to um, paint over it within two days, that's great. The city won't have to do that. But if they don't, it allows the city to come in and take those actions. And if owners object? Then we've created a process now to go through a, a, a hearing with the chief of staff. So again, our attempt is trying to balance um, property rights and also the community's need to keep our city safe and clean and and not allow defacing to occur. In an email for this report, Fayetteville Senior Code Compliance Officer Billy Bryant says when nuisance graffiti on both public and private property is reported, the incident is investigated and photographed. Private property owners are notified and given 30 days to remove it. Bryant says residents tend to comply, but if no action is taken, cases can be sent to the city prosecutor's office. Bryant says most residents report nuisance graffiti to Fayetteville police. We queried Police Sergeant Anthony Murphy, who says incidents of graffiti vandalism are handled by the Criminal Investigation Division, as well as Community-Oriented Policing Division. The images are cataloged, Murphy says, and some vandals have been caught and charged with multiple criminal mischief violations based on such records. Gangs often use graffiti to mark territory, but Murphy says graffiti in Fayetteville is mostly committed by juveniles on foot at night under the cover of darkness, making such cases hard to solve. And when graffiti is reported on private property, officers ask owners to repair the damage, he says. Currently, those willing to do so cannot be held to compliance, however. Uh, The biggest instance we have is um, graffiti along the trail system. They tag the trail itself, or they tag benches or uh, fences, light poles, that type of thing. Byron Humphrey is Public Works Park Maintenance Superintendent for the city of Fayetteville. As soon as we're made aware of it, we try to remove it. If it's on a concrete wall, like a trail wall, then we can paint a primer over it. And if it's on wooden fence or a bench, then we can use a graffiti remover or a, and or a power washer. Humphrey supports Turk's amendment to remove or cover nuisance graffiti on private property. He says a new city-sponsored mural on Archibald Yell was recently defaced. Uh, they usually aren't tagged, so that's a bit unusual. Uh, but yeah, the graffiti is just um, it is a very frequent occurrence in our park system and along our trails, and it just takes our resources and time that we could be spending doing other things, uh, maintaining or beautifying our facilities, but uh, and it seems to be uh, increasing, particularly in areas that are easy to access. A lot in the trail system seems to be primary one of those areas. According to the law enforcement news site Police One, visible signs of vandalism, including graffiti, encourage further crime and disorder. If anyone sees this activity going on, they can call the the police uh, department, the non-emergency number, and just give them a description of the the person, a description of the of the tag, and and we have cameras out in different places, and so when we tie actual you know eyewitnesses and cameras, it just helps uh, to catch the. Perpetrators. And the presence of nuisance graffiti police data show tends to attract more nuisance graffiti. That's kind of what we've, the premise that we operate on is that uh, if we can remove it as soon as we see it, then it hopefully discourages people. 
Teresa Turk's proposal to abate graffiti on private property visible to the public was heard by City Council on December 6th. It's very supportive. I've had citizens reach out to say thank you for bringing this forward. This has been a problem for a long, a very long time. But there was a little bit of hesitancy uh, in terms of where art meets nuisance graffiti. So, um, and I want to give I want to give room for that discussion. And so uh, we tabled it until I believe the January 3rd meeting so that uh, the Arts Council can meet on, on December, on, in late December to have a discussion about it. And, uh, and there may be some other ideas out there in the community about maybe there's some areas that we allow for graffiti artists to actually do their artwork. So a lot of, lot of other ideas going on here. And I think that's, that's what I intended by bringing this forward to allow us to have this really creative, um, collaborative discussion to where we can balance this kind of um, challenging issue. Turk's amendment is partially modeled on a Springdale graffiti ordinance, which charges a $1 monthly fee on municipal water bills to pay for professional abatement. We are not charging any extra fees at this time. I wanted to kind of roll this out uh, gently and see how much it actually costs the city, how much collaboration and compliance we got, and then if we need to make an adjustment next year, we will. The proposed measure will be heard again by City Council on January 3rd. In the meantime, University of Arkansas police are dealing with a rash of graffiti on campus. According to Captain Gary Crane, vandals in early December marked up a walkover that connects two chemistry facilities, as well as a half dozen building identification signs. Tagging is also proliferating on rails and pedestals in the new Ramble, a beautiful constructed walkway leading to the city trail system west of the public library. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Jacqueline Froelich. Thank you for being with us on this Tuesday edition of Ozarks at Large. I'm Kyle Kellums. The Wanderer is an old English poem dating back more than 1,000 years. It has survived dramatic changes in its original language, and it served as inspiration for works by J.R.R. Tolkien, W.H. Auden, and many other writers and composers. And now there is a new interpretation of the poem by Northwest Arkansas resident and writer Bethany Cole. It's called The Wanderer, a new translation for Middle Earth readers. The story, one of longing, searching, and salvation, is accompanied by illustrations also from Bethany Cole. This month, I reached her by Zoom and told her that the protagonist in The Wanderer seems to be lamenting what he's lost. Not only that he's left behind, but that's been taken from him abruptly, the main character. And I think that's why um, there's so much resonance between this character and the character of Aragorn in The Lord of the Rings. There's very similar things going on. There's a lot of loss. Um, there's a lot of choice that had to be made to leave things behind. And I think there's a lot of fear and trepidation about what's going to come. Um, yeah, and I think I think you really captured what the dilemma is for this main character. And you mentioned uh, the similarities, and that's where the subtitle comes, right? A new translation yes. for Middle Earth readers. Yes. Um, so when I was taking Old English with Dr. Smith at the university, I knew going into the class that this poem was deeply inspirational for Tolkien, but I didn't know how much until I got into it. And the more we translated this poem, I just kept being blown away by it. And any modern translation that I found, I didn't see some of those things being brought out. 
And I wanted to highlight some of those things for people who may not have the chance to study Old English or just not the time and to be able to see where did Tolkien get some of these things because it's it's just there's so many layers to it. It's just beautiful. I can understand loving a poem. I can understand the thrill of working on a translation. Where you leave me is the desire to do a new translation. How does that happen? Because, right, you're on a tightrope. You want to you want to keep the original intact, but you want to make it palatable for 21st century eyes? Yeah, it's a difficult task. Um, and this is the first time I'd ever done anything like this. I'd studied a few languages before, but actually translating an entire work, even though it's you know somewhat short. Um, and I'm, I'm kind of a purist about things. I'm a purist about Tolkien. And I really want to try to represent things well. And a lot of the modern translations do that. Um, they do that very well. But I think something that um, is unique about mine is that I wanted to not just translate it literally so that people knew exactly what the Old English was saying, but anytime you translate something from one language to another, there are nuances that you can't, that are between the lines um, for you know, idioms, figures of speech, um, you know, words not having the exact same meaning as they do in modern English as they did in Old English. And so that was a challenge trying to do that in a way that made sense, that was grammatically correct, that also still represented the poem accurately, and just the difficulties in Old English. There are some Old English words that we only have um, an instance of them one time in a manuscript. And so knowing exactly how to translate, it's a little tricky, and there's a lot of context involved in it. But um, it was really fun to do. I loved the experience. What Can you think of an example of one of those Old English words that only shows up in one manuscript? Oh, goodness. I can't off the top okay. of my head. Um, but one of the main inspirations for doing this poem was a word that is difficult to translate. Um, so the word that's translated typically as the wanderer, um, it literally means earth stepper. It's a compound word. And compound words in Old English are really interesting because you can try to, you know, because it's a figure of speech, we don't know exactly what they mean by it. Do they mean it literally as the compound word? Or is it something that's supposed to be representative of something else, like the compound is a new word altogether? And you don't always know. Um, so the word earth stepper could just mean someone who wanders the earth. But in some instances of its use, there's also some negative connotations with it, almost a kind of foreboding or ominous, even, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, almost a um, Almost a kind of monstrous, other type of uncanny kind of person that you don't really know what to do with. And when I heard that in class, all those connotations for that word, I instantly thought of Aragorn and the Rangers because because in the Lord of the Rings, the Rangers, for those who didn't know who they were and what they were doing, they were kind of ominous. You know, Aragorn, he was Strider. He was the one who was always brooding in the corner of the inn at Bree and no one knew what to do with him, whether or not he was a friend or foe. And that's kind of what you get in this poem with the Wanderer. And so translating it Earthstepper, it's accurate, but readers who don't know Old English, they totally miss all those connotations. Right. And so how does this begin for you? I know if, if you've got a jigsaw puzzle, people will start on the borders and work in. Do you just start with the first line and go? How, how do you approach it? That's what I did. I started with just going line by line. Um, and I had a couple of different translations. I did this um, probably a total of two or three times. Um, did it in class the first time and then reworked it line by line. And then the final version of it was looking at, okay, certain passages seem to kind of talk to each other. Can I make some of them a little more cohesive so that that 
that speaking to each other comes out in the translation a bit more. Um, and so tweaking wordings, um, phrasing, you know, um, paragraphing, because there are there are no paragraphs really in old English. Um, it just it's just lines of script. And so deciding where to make breaks and things like that. And then because I illustrated it too, I had to also figure out, okay, what do I want on this page and that kind of thing. So probably went through three versions of it. I'm glad you brought up the illustrations. Let's just start with the cover because the cover is gorgeous. It's beautiful and it sets the tone. Thank you. That was my goal. I, I've, I've been doing watercolor for a little over a year and a half and what? I've just fallen in love with it. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, I have to, I have to give a caveat because I come from a very artistic family. Pretty much everybody on my dad's side of the family is some kind of artist, whether it's painting, sculpting. And so it's kind of in my blood and I've done photography for years, but I decided to take up watercolor when um, we weren't doing as many activities because we were staying at home a lot. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so um, yeah. And then when I started translating this poem, like I have to illustrate it and I have to try to capture it in these paintings. Paintings are fun because you can represent emotions and and evoke the imagination in a way that is a little more difficult in photography. But yeah, I, I love that cover. <laughs> is translation at all like watercolor or photography? I mean, you're trying to represent something in your eyes, but you have to rely on the subject itself to do some work. That's interesting that you bring that up because that's something I've thought a lot about. And I think you're right. Um, there's something about photography and art that requires a certain kind of attention to things, an attention to moments and knowing when to make a decision to when to press the shutter or what moment am I going to capture with my brush. Um, and I think translating the poem brought brought a new understanding of that skill to me because the poem is a series of moments and a series of snapshots that are either going on in the wanderer's mind um, or just scenes that he's going through or things that he's remembering. And so focusing on some of those episodes and those snapshots in the poem itself um, really helps me to look at each one in isolation and figure out how am I going to represent that? How am I going to take all these lines and make it something that completes, makes a complete picture that draws somebody in? What do you identify with the wanderer? What do you think is this, this deep kinship you have? So I've always... I've always been a good, uh, a big fan of reading, love stories, and I've loved reading stories about people, inspiring people. Biographies were always my favorite when I was growing up. Um, and then when I became a young adult, I started reading Tolkien. And the characters in Lord of the Rings, they they just became my best friends at a very difficult time in my life, um, Aragorn in particular. And so as I was reading this poem and seeing all those similarities, um, not just between him and Aragorn, but just between me and some of the things that I had been through, um, it just, it drew me in and I wanted to represent it. That feeling of loss and that feeling of looking backward and feeling like maybe the best days are behind you. Um, that's a very strong feeling in an old English literature is that the best days are over. Um, and I think that there's a lot of that in this poem, but there's also a sense of, of hopeful um, looking forward. Um, that is something that really spoke to me because that's something that helped me deal with some difficult periods in my life. Um, and I think too, I, I tend to love really strong inspirational figures in literature who doesn't. <laughs> um, but having, having good strong male characters in literature is something that we don't see very often um, in modern works. And I think, I think this is um, 
my way of trying to bring something old, an old character back into the modern conversation. Bethany Cole provides both the translation from the Old English and the illustrations in The Wanderer, a new translation for Middle Earth readers. She lives in northwest Arkansas, and we spoke earlier this month by Zoom. KUAF is supported by David Adams Fine Jewelers, wishing everyone happy holidays and encouraging local shopping, offering handmade jewelry in platinum, gold, and silver, diamonds, and precious gemstones on the corner of Block and Center on the Fayetteville Downtown Square or at davidadams.com. When caring for a seriously ill loved one, the journey shouldn't be taken alone. Circle of Life Hospice can help. Services are covered by Medicare, Medicaid, and private insurance. No one is turned away based on an inability to pay. 750-6632 or nwacircleoflife.com for information. Tomorrow on Ozarks at Large, the Symphony of Northwest Arkansas is barely finished with their holiday concert schedule, but they're already gearing up for the first concert of 2023. It's uh, it's an incredible concert. I'm not going to lie to you. It's one I've been looking forward to for months and months and actually been thinking about for years and years. It's, it's a program that's very special to me. Sona conductor Paul Haas with us tomorrow to preview the next concert for Sona. It happens in early January. It's not that far away. That and so much more on tomorrow's Ozarks at Large at noon and 7 right here on 91.3 KUAF. Anytime for free with the Ozarks at Large podcast. Jason Burrow, a professor of musical theater at the U of A, is a pianist, singer, music director, and voice teacher. He's sung with Sting and with Mariah Carey, but on sabbatical, Burrow is currently touring with Hamilton, serving as associate music director. Last night's show was my 104th show, because I'm keeping track, and I will play something around, I think, like 400 shows or something before I come back. So just the knowledge of how to maintain that, getting to meet the people in the business who are at the top of their field for me to give feedback to my students and say, you know, like, this is legit. This is how this goes. This is an example of what you have to be able to do or, you know, just real world application of what we're teaching. You can listen to more from Burrow in the latest edition of Short Talks from the Hill, a research podcast from the University of Arkansas. You can listen at KUAF.com or wherever you get your podcasts. This is 91.3 KUAF, Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Rogers, and Chaffee Crossing. KUAF is a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. Contributors today included Jacqueline Froelich and Randy Dixon. I produce today's show in the Anthony and Susan Hoy News studio. I'm Kyle Kellams from the Carver Center for Public Radio. Thanks for being with us.